Welcome to The Heartbeat. My name is Kevin Crenshaw, and this is a podcast exploring all aspects of living life with an open heart to help you reconnect with your heartbeat. Today, we've got Dominic on the podcast. I've been following this guy on Instagram for quite some time, and every time I see one of his posts, I'm like, damn, I need to talk to this guy. It just resonated so much, number one, because he does men's work, so there was already some synergy there. But he's also facilitating some pretty epic conversations between men and women. We dive into that in the episode. We also talk about NFTs. We kind of go all over the board. Um, It gets better as it goes on. So if we start losing you and we start talking about that stuff, stick with it because uh, the end of the podcast was, in my opinion, definitely the best when we started finding that synergy. Dominic is the leader of the Great Man Mastermind, Great Man Within Podcast. And he helps men to stop lone wolfing their lives, which is really a a pandemic that we're in, an epidemic, I guess you could call it, within masculinity itself. I've been guilty of this myself, um, and I feel this podcast can be useful and beneficial for men and women. So without further ado, you're listening to The Heartbeat. My name's Kevin Crenshaw, and I'm interviewing Dominic Quartusio, and you can check out Dominic Q on Instagram. So what's on your heart to talk about today? Oh, wow. Okay. Just like that. Great. Yeah, Yeah, man. What is on my heart to talk about? So, you know, right before you hit the record button, you talked about how this podcast is geared to teach people how to live life more with an open heart. Yeah. And what's really interesting, Kevin, is that I've been on this inner work journey for about 12 years. Um, I, I I grew up as this stereotypical dude who played sports, was in a fraternity, very competitive environments, went on to the financial services world, just kind of put in uh, a very uh, curated picture of how I wanted the world to see me out on the surface. Mm -hmm. And inside, I didn't really know what I was feeling most of the time. Um, I worked really hard to numb out my feelings because when I was a kid, I was very sensitive, felt a lot of things, didn't know how to deal with them, didn't have language, certainly didn't have forms to express. And, and so I shut that down through, uh, through addiction, which uh, we could talk about you know, later today if, if it feels good for you. But uh, my addiction was sexual addiction. Mm-hmm. And uh, for many years of my life, I worked really hard through sex addiction to numb out my feelings. And at the time I felt anxious, overwhelmed. And when I got on this inner work journey about 12 years ago, I started with things like Landmark Forum and I got, you know, coaching and Tony Robbins and NLP and hypnosis. And I did a lot of stuff from the neck up, you know, intellectual inner work. Uh And it was really over the last five years when I started doing heart centered work, I didn't have full access to my heart Mm. until I joined a men's group, um, which I was a part of for about four years where we learned how to feel our feelings again. And, uh, and opened up kind of like a second life for me, which we can, I gave you a lot of stuff there so we can well, dive yeah, in. Yeah, you gave me a lot. And I, and, you know, before we hit record, I mean, the first thing I said was I love your content. Uh, so y'all go check out his content. I'll leave it in the show notes below, but seriously, um, you've got a very unique perspective on men's work specifically. I believe that's like the main, the main part of your, your, uh, Instagram. So there's lots to dive into here. Um, I would love to know what 
you mentioned addiction and specifically sex addiction and everything. Uh, let's dive into that. Let's dive into overcoming addictions and what that process was like for you. Um, and then maybe tips and advice you could give to other people. Because sure. you know, a lot of people either are unaware of their addiction and it's literally just running behind the surface, like, because it's socially accepted, like something like coffee or they're aware of it and it's a shame thing. So they don't really talk about it and then you can't get help if you're not talking about it. So this could be uh, very helpful for some people. For sure. Sex addiction is a really interesting one because there's a lot of stigma around it. There's a lot of misunderstanding around it. Um, if, if, like if I ever even do this for you, Kevin, maybe, I mean, it's probably unfair for you because you, you speak to a lot of people who are in the space, but for the listener, when you hear the term sex addict, what image does that conjure up in your mind? Right? Just someone like, who has sex all the fucking time and like, it, it, yeah. Right. Someone who's like having sex six nights a week, seven nights a week, indiscriminately. Um, other people will picture the guy in the trench coat exposing himself <laughs> to kids on a playground. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, like the sex addiction carries a wide spectrum of different belief systems and, and people who have been in relationship with sex addicts, really, maybe they, they've seen someone who has secretive porn use and chronic masturbation. And, and you know, there, there's a whole spectrum. And, and so what's really interesting about uh, where I am right now, first of all, I no longer identify as a sex addict. Um, it's a part of my history from 2013, 2017, where I was in recovery, but the way my sex addiction manifested when I was young, I grew up in a very Catholic, uh, I grew up going to seven years of Catholic school, uh, very, I would say strict household where sexuality was not very, it was, it was taboo topic. My parents are incredibly loving, wonderful humans, like the, the, the biggest hearted human beings in the planet. I have the closest relationship with them. I sing their praises from high heavens. But when it came to sex, like a great example to characterize what, you know, growing up in my household was like, if we were watching a family movie on Friday night and all of a sudden it would turn to like a mild makeout scene or a woman's top would come off in her bra, my parents would lunge across the couch and they'd be like, no and come to cover my eyes, wow. you know, and, and the collective sphincter of the room would wow. tighten up and everyone would get really weird. You could cut the tension with a knife. And I'm sitting here as a young boy with like, with like feelings in my body from seeing that woman. I'm like, man, that felt great. But then the very clear picture, the, the clear message that that's wrong, right? That's bad, hmm. you know, and the Catholic schooling also my experience of Catholic schooling, not everyone's, but mine um, reinforced premarital sex or sexual, you know, thoughts are sinful. So when I did discover my own sexuality through masturbation for my first time, um, it was the most sensational feeling I'd ever had. It was like, I just stumbled on a, a pile of like heroin that was free and I could pull on the crank anytime I wanted. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, it numbed out all of my feelings of teen angst and loneliness and weirdness and awkwardness, which then became my thing, like my crutch to disappear. Mm -hmm. And at age 13, that's no big deal. You're just jerking off in your bedroom. You take that over a course of 20 years where that escalates and manifests into real life encounters, pornography. It was during the age of the internet starting to come out, connecting with other people and mysterious people. And I created two separate lives. And I think a lot of men, and I know a lot of your listeners are women, but women certainly can understand in dating 
uh, men, that we are great at compartmentalizing. Yeah. And so I had the public facing Dominic that everyone, you know, that, that I crafted to get acceptance and praise. And then there was the secret world Dominic where I stuffed all these things that were sinful, bad, wrong, perverted, insecure, weak. And those two worlds ran concurrently for 20 years wow. until finally the woman who for the first time at I think age 33, who I'd fallen in love with the first woman who actually was able to penetrate my armor and capture my heart. Mm. I cheated on her and she caught me. And that was what caused these two worlds to come crumbling down. And in the rubble, it was just me. And I had to rebuild myself and my relationship from. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of overlap, man, and parallel in our stories, especially early on. Um, and the shame around, you know, a makeout scene or some, something. Uh, I grew up evangelical Christian. So I, I get it as well. Of like, it's just taboo and not to be talked about. And if it is talked about, it's shamed or it's seen yep. as icky or it's sin. <sighs> How much of that do you think is the cause of a lot of sex addiction nowadays? Oh, tons. Of it. tons, dude. So I live in New York City when I was going to my 12-step meetings every Sunday morning. So, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, they all have 12-step meetings. So sex addiction based on the same kind of program, foundational program. Yeah. My room, the room I was in was filled with Christians, Catholics, Hasidic Jews, Muslims. I mean, because you're, you're in a, you know, you're, you're in a very, you're in a melting pot here in New York City. And so the majority of people in the room had some form of very strict oppressive religion mm -hmm. uh, in their upbringing. And then the others who didn't have that had some sort of shame-based um, system around sexuality that was in their household. And this is one of the things I talk about is that there are four Fs that, that, that shape your relationship with sexuality, your faith, you know, like whether you had, you know, spirituality, religion, family, and their perspective on it, mm -hmm. friends, right? The people that you surrounded yourself with was, you know, hooking up that what gave you power and then film. And when I say film, it's basically like media pornography. So faith, family, friends, and film have a profound impact. Mm -hmm. Those are the four forces that shape your sexuality. And I learned that when I was in my recovery I looked back at my childhood and was like, oh my God, this is where I learned all this stuff. This is how I internalized it. This is how shameful it was. This is why I created these secretive behaviors that created these barriers to intimacy and why I always attracted codependent people because I was always the, you know, the, the, the one who, the avoidant, yeah. yeah, they were the attached. And so I, like, it was like the matrix revealed itself to me in recovery. Wow. You know, I also find it, <sighs> interesting in my work and I've been doing this for years but the heartbreak is the thing that wakes us up usually um talk about that process if you could of not necessarily the details of the breakup but I'm talking like you picking yourself back up you seeing this duality for the first time really um and merging that what was that process like for you yeah man so you know you talk about how heartbreak can be a wake-up call in my community, um, you know, the great man within community, we, we talk about being hit by the Mack truck, right? So there's, right, the Mack truck moments. Um, yeah. You know, we, we typically get like these three kind of signs to wake up. It's, you get that little feather tickle. 
It's like someone tapping you on your shoulder. It's like, hey, buddy, listen to me. We mostly ignore those. Then you get hit by the two by four across the forehead. Many of us like don't even pay attention to those. We wait for <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And it's it's like let me wait till the Mack truck hits me and I'm flattened by it. And and so I see that with heartbreak, or I see that with you know someone getting a heart attack, like you know to finally address their health. You, you name it, right? Or hitting rock bottom with an addiction. So, what causes that? One of the things that um, I learned from one of my greatest mentors uh, is Napoleon Hill, who's the author of Think and Grow Rich, and and also the book that you know really touched my heart was called Outwitting the Devil. It's the most important book of my life, and. In Outwitting the Devil, Napoleon Hill coins this term called drifting. And the devil says that drift, and by the way, this devil in the book Outwitting the Devil is a summation of 20,000 interviews that Napoleon Hill did over a 20-year period with people who were at the end of their lives. Wow. Right? People who at the end of their lives who felt like they'd left chips on the table, Hmm. that they didn't live in alignment with their purpose, or they didn't. Um, go after life. It's basically the opposite story of the people he featured in Think and Grow Rich, who are all like, you know, the world's richest and most successful. So he did the bookends. Mm. So this devil is a constellation of 20,000 dreams that are lost. And the devil says, the way that I control the minds and hearts of people is through this phenomenon known as drift. And I enter the minds and hearts of people through this habit, through habit, the principle of habit, and I establish drift. Mm -hmm. And if I get a person to drift, I lead them straight towards the gates of hell. So what drifting is, is when we are on unconscious autopilot of our lives, right? It's, we wake up and it's our habits, our patterns, our belief systems, our fears, our insecurities, what society's told us to do, what our partners expect us to do. That's what's behind the wheel of our car not us intentionally living our lives. And it's usually we're in that state of unconsciousness until an outside force wakes us up. Mm -hmm. Heartbreak, a global pandemic. Now, these things can be beautiful, resurrecting moments where we can look at our lives, ask deeper questions and figure out uh, how do we want to build from here? But then my question is, if the only catalyst for you becoming intentional in your life is waiting for an outside force to come crashing down upon you, then how in control of your life are you really? Right. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be like, I don't want to live my life being run over by Mack trucks and pick it up because that's really, really, it's, it's heavy. And it's it. exhausting. Don't, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Truck after Mack truck after Mack truck in a fair, in a span of a few months. I think there's like a level beyond Mack truck, which is like, what is it called? What's it called? Uh, uh, rampage. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, man, you get tread marks all over your body yeah. after that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just like you're stuck on the highway and can't get out. Flattened I, on the highway. I those moments. And that was a real big wake up call for me. Yeah, man. And, and, you know, to get back to your original question about what do you do, you know, like how do you pick yourself up from the rubble? Yeah. Um, you know, for me, you know, when I, when I entered Sex Axonomics back in 2013, I think it was around 33 or something like that, 34. Um, I was the perennial lone wolf and a lone wolf, the way that we describe it in our community is, you know, the man who's going through life mentally, emotionally, and spiritually on his own. And there are a lot of us out there. We've been taught that, you know, to be a man is to be independent. You don't need any help. You certainly don't ask for it. 
And what I'd found was when I walked into the recovery rooms, I was surrounded by a group of men who for the first time I wasn't competing with because I'm talking about, man, like this unconscious program of walking into a group of guys and being like, where's the alpha dog, right? Who's the threat and what, you know, who's the leader. And, and instead these guys were the ones who were like, dude, just put the armor down. Tell us what's going on in there. We praise what's real and authentic. And it was the first time in my life. It scrambled my brain. It took me literally three months before like I trusted it. I, I literally was not trusting of the group wow. and the men in it because I'd never been in a space like that. Wow. That was where I started to build back up, not on my own, but with these group of men, with therapy, with coaching. And it's, it's what changed the entire trajectory of my life. Wow. That's a really good point. You weren't trying to compete anymore. How do you carry that into your everyday life now? Yeah. So, I mean, it's basically, it rests at the foundation of all the work that I do as a leader of men's communities. Mm-hmm. I started off as a men's coach. I did one-on-one men's coaching, but um, what I found is that what men really need is community, like the ones that I had. Mm-hmm. Most guys have no idea what it's like to walk into a group of other men where they don't have to package themselves up as invincible, where they have to pretend like they don't feel things, where they're stoic, uh, where they have to act like they've got it all together. And my communities are guys who are very successful guys who have like, you know, achieved a lot in life, but feel a sense of like restlessness and, um, and maybe feeling kind of like disconnected from purpose, want a sense of meaning, or even feeling a sense of trappedness in their lives. What they don't have are intimate connections with other guys. Like they don't have a brand of brothers anymore. And so how I bring it into my everyday life, man, like I'm swimming in it. Like I, I run communities all day long. I'm doing workshops, running, you know, running experiences for guys or in WhatsApp chats. And even outside of that, when I encounter a guy, you know, that's not in my little bubble, mm-hmm. you know, I can feel right away, you know, whether he's someone who's got like a, you know, he's, he's putting something forward, like a front forward. And I'll just try and, I'll try and dissolve that by being the guy who goes vulnerable first, living with an open heart. Mm-hmm. I'll let him have a little piece, a little taste of something. I'll give a little nugget to see if he bites it. And some guys are uncomfortable with even that. Other guys are like, whoa, it feels really good to talk about that. Yeah, here's something that I'd like to share back with you. You know, and then, and then we take it as far as like he's comfortable in taking it because I can go wherever. Um, and that's how I bring it into my everyday life. And that, that's allowed me to forge some really deep and meaningful relationships with the guys very quickly. That's awesome. I think it's a really important piece of, uh, like you mentioned, living with an open heart, being the one to be vulnerable first. We're often looking for, we want vulnerability or we want trust from others and we're not usually pioneering it or giving it. Um, I found that in my past, that was very much true, at least. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Dude, there's so much that we can get into with this. Uh, one question that's boiling on, in, in my mind right now, because I, I it's just seeing your Instagram is what you have. What's the name of it? My phone's over there of things. She wants you to know the things he wants. Oh you yeah. To yeah, yeah. 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 Could you go into that? Cause I think that's a really great series that you've created. Cool. Thank you, man. So 
Um, one of the things that I found in becoming outspoken on my Instagram profile, so for the last six months, I've really taken Instagram seriously and produced content every day. And it's been, it's been growing. It's been really cool. And I have a, all my stuff is geared to speaking to men because that's what I do. I run men's communities, but of course, 55 to 60% of my followers are women, (laughs) right? Because they're like, where do we find guys like this? And, you know, where are all the men? And, and, you know, and, and women are always the ones who are such champions of this or the ones who comment on it. They're the ones who share it. And so, um, women, you know, for, for the listeners of, of your show, thank you, because you're the ones who are really showing and putting a stamp of approval on uh, the fact that, hey, guys, you know, the, the men in my community are going to start stealing all the women from those dudes out there, right? And, and those dudes out there are going to start paying attention. So please keep sharing. So one of the things that I decided to do was I ran a poll on my Instagram um, uh, stories. And I was just like, to the women in my community, how would you fill in this blank? Um, you know, if, if, if we're talking about men, she wants you to know dot, dot, dot. And just fill in the blank for whatever it is that you would want your man and romantic partnership to know. So I ended up getting hundreds of responses from women that were really, really beautiful and profound. A lot of them were very, <laughs> a lot of them had a lot of hurt and pain associated with them. But I just had like pages and pages of insight that I distilled down into these like very short um, posts that said, you know, here's what she wants you to know. And maybe I'll even pull up a couple that have been pretty popular so you can get a flavor for it. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I mean, you've done an amazing job of curating that conversation and kind of uh, it's been needed for a while. Thank you. And, uh, and I'm starting to do one now on, he wants you to know, cause our guys are like, well, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> we want to be heard too. And I've got a whole, I've got a awesome. whole th- series of that coming out. So like, here's an example of that, you know, she wants to know that if you need space during conflict, that you will indeed come back ready and resource to sit down on the same side of the table and co-create the path to resolution. Hmm. And that's a response to the big complaint of you know, when we have a conflict, my guy says, I need space. And he goes away. He disappears physically. He disappears emotionally, but then he never comes back. Like maybe he comes back physically, but he doesn't want to have the conversation. He's not ready. So guys are always asking for, can we have space and time? The answer is yes. If that you decide, if you make the commitment to come back and share emotionally and sit down at the table on the same side to co-create a path to resolution. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Should should I share another one? Okay. This is a good, this this is one that also got a lot of traction was she wants to know that you can trust her intuition and turn down the volume on your logic. If only for a moment Mm -hmm. and place your faith into the unseen. Mm -hmm. And that one really came as a result of, you know, so many guys are logical and rational and, can't see beyond their own experience. Yeah. I know what that means, right? It's well, because yeah. it doesn't make sense to me and my logical brain. I certainly can't understand her. And she's saying, it's just an instinct. It's just an intuition. It's just a feeling. We somehow deify logic and vilify intuition. Mm-hmm. And she wants to know that you can actually set down your logic just for a minute. Not always. Mm-hmm. Logic has a time and a place and a seat at the table but can you trust her intuition? Something that's inherently a part of who she is 
And by dismissing that and by invalidating that part of her, you are not seeing her. You're rejecting a part of her that's central to her. And so that, that, that was another reason why that one got a lot of traction. Yeah. These are really good conversations. And I think it's going to act as a bridge to, for men and women to help like understand these things because maybe it's said, but we don't receive it or uh, it's left unsaid. So it's really good that you're having these conversations and facilitating stuff. Thanks, man. I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying it. It's never something I thought I'd be doing, but I'm, that seems to be, yeah, seem to be having fun doing it. But you're here. What's something in your life right now that's captivating your awareness? Uh, maybe spe- specifically an area of study. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how interesting this is going to be to your listeners. So I'll, I'll hit like a, a headline of it and then I'll, and then I'll pause and we'll see if we go somewhere else. Okay. Um, the, the world of NFTs are, are, are really starting to captivate me. And I'll give you the, the Cliff Notes version of why. Mm-hmm. NFTs, non-fungible tokens, are going to usher in the era, the golden era for creators mm-hmm. and communities. 100%. If, right? And if, if, you, if you understand anything about collectibles, whether it's like dolls, you know, rare dolls or trading cards like I grew up on or mm-hmm. coins, you know, like you can understand NFTs um, yeah. and you can understand their, their value. And when I look at um, creators like us who are creating content on social media, I look at musicians, I look at uh, artists, vastly underpaid, vastly undercompensated for the work that we put out. And we're also the ones who not are just creating, but we're also creating communities around us. And if you think about what makes a you know, like a, a porcelain doll, a collectible doll valuable, or a baseball trading card valuable, or rare coins valuable. It's because there's a community of people who say that, that there's a, a the critical mass of community who say that that is valuable. And we have a demand for a limited supply of things. And therefore, I want a piece of that action. And so what if like the music platforms of the future, instead of Spotify, you know, raking in all of the, the revenue and the, 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 the songwriters and the singers who are only getting a fraction of the, the, the money. What if there's a platform where, you know, if Kevin, if, you, if you're an artist that I believe in and I love your music and there's a thousand true fans who feel the same way, you issue an NFT, we all become a part of that. Now we have stock in your future rise and your earning potential. And I'm going to get you blown up, man. I'm going to put you on my podcast. I'm going to you know, share your music. That's how a community can come together and we can all get rich on your rise, you know, because we love you. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing that's captivating my attention. And I, that's a complete 90 degree awesome. turn from what we were just talking about. Yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> it's tipped my awareness as well. Uh, diving into that and understanding of the metaverse. And I've even started playing with uh, gamifying personal development in the metaverse and um NFTs. So that's awesome that you're diving into that space as well. But yeah, I think that's a conversation for a different podcast. <laughs> totally. totally. <Yeah. laughs> but it, it, I mean, it's true what you hit on with um, understanding about putting creators first and um, community first. It's really going to make a huge shift and pivot in things. Absolutely. Yeah, I see it. With your what, what do you feel is the vital part of, of that? The vital part of uh, the, 
to transition into community? Yeah, community focused versus business, big business focused. What do you what do you, you feel it's inevitable? Do you feel it's like we're really gonna have to push and play a role in things? What do you think is yeah. potential roadblocks on that path? Because you know, I, I want to open up this conversation maybe for you listening if you're not into NFTs or anything yet, because uh, you will be. Um, what what is something that it, to look forward to, and also how can you help shape the future? Because we are in a very transitional season in human history. Well, so I think maybe a lot of your listeners can relate to this example of, you know, you go on Facebook, you go on Instagram, maybe you have a bunch of friends, or maybe you're a content creator and you have a following, you know? So for example, I've built, I've worked really hard to build my Instagram following from 4,000 to 18,000 over the last six months. And that's awesome, but I'm under no illusion that, that those are, that I own that, that audience because if Instagram and Mark Zuckerberg decide to come in one day and obliterate everything or change the rules of agreement, then all of a sudden, like I'm done. Yeah. Or if a new platform starts to blow up and they say like TikTok makes Instagram completely irrelevant, which we've seen it hasn't done, but let's just say another platform, it like blows up. Now Instagram is useless. I have to start all over again and go onto another platform and then build again from the beginning where we're heading is into this this world where we get to start our communities and carry those communities wherever we go. Mm. And so what's really important about that is we all start to build a stake in our, our relationships that can last into perpetuity. The world right now needs community now more than ever. The world has been divided in ways that we have never, you know, like it's just in my lifetime, we've never seen the divisiveness. And so I, I think it's really interesting that technology is evolving in a way that's bringing community back. Mm-hmm. And like we said, I believe that the golden era of the creator is going to come forth if NFTs rise the way that everyone, all the experts are predicting. So you're going to start to see a lot more people leaving the jobs they hate to come do the thing that they love because they don't have to wait and build an audience of 100,000 people to finally monetize you can monetize right away very early on if you have a handful of people in your community who believe in you and want to buy your stuff and want to invest in your future. So um, I think that we're going to see a real leveling of the playing field instead of four behemoths like YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, you're going to see a bunch of individual communities who are really, who are very wealthy in their own regard. And it's distributed in a way that feels good for everyone who's participating in it. Yeah. It's a totally different paradigm. Totally. Yeah, man. I'm sorry if we've taken a complete left turn from where you wanted to go here. No, but, uh, not at can, all. This is, a, this is a wild west. <laughs> no, there's nowhere I want to go. There's meeting what is, and this is what is right now. Cool. It's important, man. I mean, the community bit. Where did I hear this? Somebody, and I'm, I don't remember who, so forgive me for it, but said that there's only two human needs. I know you mentioned Tony Robbins. You've done maybe his six human needs stuff. Um, there, there's this one guy who says there's only two, self-expression and belonging. Hmm. Hmm. And that meets the two. Both of them. Yeah. Yeah. And so few yeah. people have like what they would consider to have as a like a real thriving community that they trust, that they belong to, that they can be fully well, like self-expressed. In the beginning, you didn't, you didn't trust the other community. And then you went to the mentor. Yeah. Stuff. yeah. And that had to be earned. And so I think we're going to see the golden era of, of communities stepping in. And then that's why 
And you can think about personal development communities can start springing up around mindfulness, around men's work. Platforms can be developed where, you know, technological platforms can be developed where people have ownership stakes in that and building it. And then, you know, and then doing the work on that platform and getting it out to others. Mm. So there's, there, there's a lot of potential that I see there that can do a lot of good, not just financially, but can do a lot of good spiritually. Mm-hmm. Definitely. For somebody who's looking to, or maybe has an audience looking to create an audience, what would you say to them on how to do that? How do, how do you start cultivating community? How do you start cultivating? Yeah. So I, I don't know if I'm ready to speak to how do you build like, you know, an NFT well, around. Yeah, not necessarily kinds. that, but the community aspect of it. Cause that's really important to have the right peer group, to have the right people around you. You know, there are people who don't trust others who um, there's their peer group or the people that are close to them. They don't, may not necessarily feel safe with, or they're waking up to that aspect and realizing like, whoa, I need to change my life. How do you find the right group and or create the right group? How did you do it? Yeah. You know, so I've, I've successfully, you know, created men's groups, run men's masterminds. They're paid. They're a part of my work, but also I've been a part of a men's group that was, you know, unpaid. I was like, you know, an equal member of 10 guys in the group. So I have some experience with building community. And the first thing, you know, at the essence of any community is a shared interest, you know, shared interest in common beliefs around something. Mm-hmm. So that could be like, that could be quilting. <laughs> that could be card collecting. It could be Harley Davidson, you know, bike riding. It could be men's work. Mm-hmm. And usually it takes one person who, who says like, I desire to have more people like me to go on a journey of exploring our love or deepening our awareness and growth in this particular arena. And so a specific example with our men's group that formed four years ago, one guy went to a men's retreat called the Everyman Men's Retreat. Um, you know, he learned this, this methodology around how to feel his feelings. And he came back and said, I want to practice this. Like, I don't want this to just be a weekend retreat I went on. I want this to be a regular recurring week, week-long practice or every week practice. So he went and, and he basically, this, this is one of the most important parts of forming community. Find your first two or three people who are like, I'm all in, right? You need to get your first, like one who says, yo, I'm in that, I'm in that foxhole with you. Let's build this thing. Awesome. Then you get your second, then you get your third. And these have to be like deeply committed people that you know are going to show up and do it. So there were four of us who said, all right, I'm willing to meet every Monday night for two hours to do this work. Uh, If you miss two meetings in a year, you're out of the group. Like we prioritize it. So if you're in New York city on the night, like this is happening. So you treat it like, you know, people treat church on Sundays Mm -hmm. uh, or the really devout (laughs) treat church on Sundays. You don't miss it. And when we made that a part of our, our, like that, when we made, when we made that pact mm-hmm. and we started bringing in new people, we said, this is the standard. Are you in, or are you out? Some guys couldn't cut it and they were out. And then the other guys who came in, who felt what we felt, who wanted to do the work, you know, four years later, the group is still strong and going. So I think those are the key elements is, you know, common interest that you identify on a desire to explore further finding the few early adopters who want to jump in. And then you have to commit to a practice, you know, practice of meeting 
and doing it on a basis that like is predictable. That's really important coming back together. Absolutely. What are your practices? What's your routine like? Yeah, I've got a bunch of them. Uh, so it takes, uh, I like to joke that it takes a village to keep this, you know, this engine running clean. Uh, so I need a lot of practices to keep me grounded. And, mm-hmm. you know, cause like, again, a part of my history is falling into compulsive behavior. The drift. So, and drifting, exactly. Drifting, drift, drift is, is that insidious little evil, but the antidote to drift is intentionality, mm. right? The antidote to drift is intentionality. Mm-hmm. So like, like the most important part of my day is my morning routine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I know for a lot of people who are listening, you're either like nodding your head vigorously or you're rolling your eyes because you've heard it a million times, you know, and, and maybe it doesn't work for you. But, you know, for me, every morning, like the, one of the things that I made sure to do six or seven years ago was I keep this phone out of my bedroom. Um, I used to do keynote speeches in the corporate workspace. I used to ask this question to every audience I went into, how many of you use your cell phone as your alarm clock? 90% of the hands went up in the air. Keep your hand up in the air. If you look at your phone within the first five minutes of waking up, all the hands would stay in the air. Of course, because when you wake up in the morning and your phone is your alarm clock, you're going to go into Instagram or TikTok or the news or your email or your text messages, and you are fire hosing yourself with outside information before your feet have hit the freaking floor. Uh, yeah. And, and like you're unstable, you're not setting an intention. That's drift one-on-one. If you, if you want a, if you want to like a, a main line to drift, make sure you look at your phone first thing in the morning, <laughs> guarantee you. So yeah. I keep my phone out of my bedroom. First half hour of the day, I'm not looking at it. And my first half hour looks like I get up, I do some alkaline breathing, breathwork practices to get the you know stale oxygen and stale carbon dioxide out of my body in the morning. I start to get the blood flowing. I do meditation. I take a cold shower to get the rest of the, like the blood flowing in my body. And some days I'll do some journaling, um, depending on how much time I have. And then I'll get into some stuff like you know email or work or text messages. Mm-hmm. Awesome. You have nighttime practice. My nighttime practice is, 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 is always been less, uh, disciplined than my morning routine, but, um, a few of the things that, so I, I sleep, I've worked so hard to get my sleep to like a plus level status. Okay. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm a sleep ninja now awesome. <laughs> and, and like, I'd, I'd always done really good quantity of sleep. I'd always prioritized getting seven or eight hours, but what I didn't realize was that the other part of the equation is the quality of sleep you get. Right. And I, I, I bought the aura ring three and a half years ago, which is, you got yours too, man. Love you. Love you. It's, I mean, it, so there's a lot of sleep. There's a lot of sleep trackables out there. You got, you know, Garmin, you got the Apple watch, the, the gold standard for sleep tracking is the aura ring. Yep. NBA uses it. The special forces, the militaries use it. And what I found was my quality of sleep, my deep sleep and my, my REM sleep we're both um, substandard. Mm. Deep sleep's important because it's what helps to repair your physical body. It flushes out the toxins. Deep sleep typically happens at the beginning of your sleep cycle. REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep is where you consolidate memories. It's where you get creativity. It's where you remember the things, anchor and learn during the day, solve problems. That typically happens at the back end of your you know six, seven, eight hours of sleep. Mm. And so what do I do in the evenings to make sure that I optimize those? is 
last hour before I go to bed, I put on blue light blocking glasses. Um, so I buy the Swanwick blue light blocking glasses. I think they're 70 bucks on Amazon. I turn all my lights down in my apartment. So it's kind of like dimmed lighting or no lighting. I put my phone away for the, for the last half hour. I usually do watch TV to wind down. Mm -hmm. So like I am getting some screen, yeah. um, but it's not anything that will jack me up. You know, I used to watch like 24 and other shows that were like super high octane. That <laughs> my heart rate would be, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. um, and, and then I take, uh, I take a melatonin and a little tincture of kava. I use this, this, this thing called kava plex, which is incredible. And my deep sleep has really, I think it's increased by 20 to 30 minutes just by this kava, kava plex supplement that I've been taking for about three or four months now. Mm -hmm. And that's how I go to bed and I get an envy level sleep. Dude, I mean, let's talk about sleep for just a second because it's really important. And optimizing your sleep optimizes every aspect of your life. Like you don't need supplements as much if you're getting proper sleep, right? You don't need right. stimulants as much if you're getting proper sleep. You don't need to optimize because the, the biggest optimizer is sleep. Um, my, my perspective on it is sleep is the best nootropic, which uh, I love that brain in, inducing, uh, uh, supplement. It, it, that's, that's it. And how you can't biohack poor sleep. You can't out biohack a bad sleep cycle. So it really Cheers. has important. And, and, you know, I'm not sponsored by aura. Uh, even though I've wanted to be and uh, they're incredible. So I, for anybody listening, com, check them out. Um, and literally just tracking, getting the information and not subjectively looking at it, but objectively looking at what's actually happening gives you the, the what to do. You're like, Oh, I'm not getting enough REM sleep. Okay. What can I do for REM sleep? And then boom, easy. Yeah. Like to that point, like if you're, if you're an athlete, say if you're a runner and you want to like, you know, if you want to compete in a marathon, imagine running without timing yourself. Like you don't know if you're improving, like how do you, how do you, so the aura ring is something that like you can see, am I actually making improvements? And the aura ring was what led me to start to understand, oh, when I go to bed after midnight, I get really poor deep sleep and, and oh, we'll go to bed at different all the time or wake up at different times all the time. I get poor REM sleep, deep sleep. When I eat within the last two hours of going to bed, it has a negative effect on my deep quality sleep. So what that's allowed me to do is like, now I have a 90 minute window that I go to bed in pretty much five days out of the week. So it's like between 10 and 1130 that I go to bed five nights out of the week to make sure that like I get the proper quality of sleep. Mm -hmm. I don't eat within two or three hours before I go to bed. I don't drink an hour before I go to bed. Um, water or anything like that. So I don't have to get up like multiple times and disrupt my sleep cycles. And over the course of time, man, like it teach, it taught me, I, I was getting, when I first bought this aura ring, I was getting maybe like 50 minutes of deep sleep a night. Mm, wow. And now I average two hours and 10 minutes mm -hmm. of deep sleep a night, Dang. which, you know, to get to, to over double, that's a 120% improvement. That's an average. That's not, that's not just, that's just incredible. a good night. That's average night, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So good. And, and I just want to tie this in to 
this is how you feel more. I mean, I think what we're really after and the, doing mm-hmm. the inner work and uh, healing our shame and finding community is we want to feel alive. We want to feel the fullness of our aliveness. And that means all of the emotions. And I had an experience two years ago, or was it last year, one year ago, when I was in Tulum, I was massively dehydrated and um, went to get an IV drip and just started bawling my eyes out instantly. She was like, are you okay? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I, I had emotions in, to the surface, but I didn't have enough water literally to process them in my body. Oh, so I was just wow. in super survival mode. And the second I started getting hydrated, it just came to the surface. And um, it, that was like a moment for me where I was really like, okay, all this biohacking geeky stuff really does matter that for us to perform at our best and live at our best so we can feel more because I think that's what we're really after, even though it, you know, we usually want to feel just the good things, but it comes with the other. And when we feel more alive, I think we're more connected with ourselves. We're more in tune with that flow. We can be the artist and express ourselves the way that we, our soul is desiring. And in that we find our community. It's all, it's all tying in. Kevin, you just said something really profound. Man, I don't think I've ever heard anyone put it that way around, you know, one of the, one of the most important reasons why we're doing all the biohacking, the optimization is so we can feel more because mm-hmm. think about what happens when you are feeling physically weak or not optimized. Then we like, let's take a very specific, specific example. You, you got hammered the night before you ate a bunch of, you know, crap food. You go to sleep, get crap sleep. You wake up the next morning and you feel like you feel like crap. So then you stimulate with caffeine you get hungry around 10 a.m. You eat the breakfast burrito with sausage. And, and then like, you know, and, and then you got to blow off steam after work with maybe a, another cocktail or you got to watch some porn to like, you know, let off the, and all of a sudden, all of these things that you're doing are numbing. Mm-hmm. All of those behaviors are numbing behaviors. And you pile one on top of the other just to kind of get through and mask the crappy thing that you did to yourself. And that's how I, spent a good 33, 34 years of my life, not feeling, mm-hmm. you know, not feeling. And, yeah. and back, back in during my addictive days, like I was also, you know, someone who probably drank four or five nights a week. I was in a financial services job or, out, you know, schmoozing people, but I didn't even make a conscious decision to do this, man. Like I, I just don't drink anymore. Mm-hmm. Maybe I had like four or five cocktails over the last year. And there are plenty of my friends who still love to tie one on and go out and have a good time. And like, all, like I'm, I'm all for that. Like if, if, you're, if you're having a good time, great. And if you're running away from problems and you're not facing your stuff and it's causing you to maybe eat some things and not work out and, you know, have a short fuse, you might also want to take a look at that. Definitely. Definitely. And, it, and it's, all, it's all tied in. And I think the, we get into the drift. Um, through those things like drinking or porn or whatever that give us a false, a false feeling. It's like, mm-hmm. it's a trap, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, I feel a lot right now, but then it's ultimately numbing. Um, I think yeah. too, uh, biohacking can be numbing. It can be an escape uh, just like porn is literally like, you're not, you're not facing your shame. You're going into an ice bath to try to change your state. Like <laughs> what, it's all discernment. It's all intentionality. And like you said, and that's how we get to wake up and feel free again. Yeah. I mean, you're hitting some, some really cool perspectives. Uh, and I'm really starting to appreciate like how you see things. 
Mm. You know, they like biohacking and other things can all become addictions and escapes, you know, if we go over the top with it. And mm-hmm. yeah, like I see, I see a lot of the guys in the, you know, the Dave Asprey biohacking community, Ben Greenfield community. And, and by the way, like, you know, these guys are like, I, I've, I've mixed up with Ben a little bit and he's, he's super intelligent and he's got, he's got depth. Like, you know, I've talked to him and he's got some real deep stuff in there, but I see the, some of the people that are circling around those communities and you're like, you know, you want to live forever, but why? <laughs> like, like, and, and yes, I know, you know, um, how to, to shorten the length of your telomeres so that like, you know, you look chronologically, you know, you look younger than your chronological age, but why are you doing this? Is it, is it based on like fear? Is it based on needing to be accepted? Um, like, when are you going to get to your heart? And that's why what you're doing is so important, Kevin, because I, I spent seven or eight years doing inner work and I, I experienced all sorts of growth. I still didn't have access to my heart. Mm. It was only when I started practicing emotional fluency that's the term that like we've given it in my community. Emotional fluency is the ability to feel a feeling, to name that feeling. By the way, these two things, just those two first two parts are revolutionary for a lot of guys. Yeah. Like to know what you're feeling and to act, to feel the feeling and then to actually name the feeling. Yeah. To be with the feeling without reacting to it. So like you can be with anger without punching a hole in the wall mm-hmm. or suppressing it. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth part is to express that feeling to be able to communicate that, especially if you're in a partnership, it's like what you just said. I'm like, I'm feeling very triggered by what you just said. Here's what's coming up in my body. My neck is starting to get red. My shoulders are constricting. I feel a tightness in my chest and I want to, I want to scream. Like that's a great way of being able to articulate Mm -hmm. what you're experiencing versus saying the thing or exploding that you can't take back. Um, once I learned emotional fluency, then I started having access to the inner workings and the nuances of my heart that allowed me to, um, to know when I meet a person like you, you know, and just like taking a quick look at your Instagram page, when you reached out to me, we're like, Hey, you want to come on my show? I don't know anything about you. I can get a quick feel for you because my heart's calibrated. Mm-hmm. I gotta be like, yeah, that's my guy. You know, like w- we can jam. Right. Well, I'm glad that we jammed today and we definitely got to jam more. Right on, man. Good stuff, Kevin. Yeah. Thank you for being on the show, being you, living from your heart. Where can people find more about you and what it is you do? Yeah, I'd love, I'd love listeners to come over and come check out our podcast. So that's the Great Man Within podcast. Mm -hmm. And it's geared towards high-performing men who want to learn how to live a life of purpose. We talk a lot about um, emotions. We talk a lot about sexuality, um, how to build community. So those are big topics. Amazing. And then- my Instagram account is at Dominic Q, which I think you said you'll link in the show notes. And every day I post content there, my most recent musings. Love it. Again, thank you for being on the show, brother. And for everybody tuning in, put some heart into everything that you do today.